Well, good morning. It's all cheerful today. So my name is Andy Newberry, and I am a volunteer in the teaching and preaching ministry here at Park Church. And we're so happy that you're here. And we want to say that in the name of Jesus Christ, you are welcome here. And so this morning, I would like us to take a moment and just think about a time when you feel like someone really got you. Think about a moment when someone made you feel like they really understood where you were coming from. For me, I remember a specific time back in college as I was getting to know my roommate, Cliff. And as I got to know Cliff, it turned out that growing up, both he and I were huge fans of Little House in the Prairie. And we would, I know, as, as ridiculous as it was, we would stay up nights just talking to each other, reminiscing about some of our favorite episodes, in particular all the times that Pa Ingalls got hurt. Uh, we thought about times, oh, remember the time he got, you know, attacked by a bear, or a huge runaway millstone, or a pack of angry farmers? I mean, it was goofy, but it was fun, because feeling like someone gets you, feeling like someone knows where you're coming from, it is one of the best feelings in the world. And contrastly, feeling like no one gets you, feeling like no one cares to listen where you're coming from, feeling like an outsider, that can be one of the worst feelings in the world. I remember for me, there was a very specific time where someone made me feel like an outsider with just a word. I was in the second grade, and I was just finishing washing my hands in the boys' bathroom when this other kid comes in, a little bit younger, a little bit smaller than me, and he starts talking to me, and then out of nowhere, he calls me a name, and not a nice name. He used a racial slur, and that particular word was something I had never even heard before, but I could tell by the way he said it. It was so filled with just poison. I knew that he said it to hurt me. And I felt confused, I felt hurt, I felt suddenly strange and just awful inside. I remember feeling embarrassed, ashamed. It's why to this day, I hate the use of racial slurs. And so I remember how hurt I was by just that one word, so spitefully spoken. And then as I tried to process what happened, as I almost absentmindedly just picked this kid up and slowly just stuffed him into a garbage can in the corner, <laughs> I remember thinking, I felt so bad and different and not different in a good way. And so there's a word for an experience like that. The word for that is marginalized. To be marginalized means to be treated as insignificant or to be put on the periphery, to be pushed to the margin of a social group, forced to live on the outskirts of one's own community. And I know that I am not alone in having an experience of feeling marginalized. Unfortunately, too many of us have had some type of experience like that for all of the women in our community who have experienced mansplaining, or uninvited comments about their appearance, or so much worse. 
or maybe it's the first-generation immigrant with whom no one makes eye contact with. Or maybe it's the elderly person living in a facility whose genuine complaints are just dismissed as evidence of her senility. Or maybe it's that one person in the group who consistently gets eyeballed by either the teacher or by the police because they look different. And even if you have never been personally marginalized, all of us know that this is not the way the world should be. But at the same time, we know that this is the way the world is. And because we know the world is a broken place, it is our belief here at Park Church that we are called to share the healing, welcoming love of Jesus Christ. And so throughout this year, our whole focus has been to love where we live. In particular, in this series we've been doing called It's Personal, we've been thinking about how can we be better at extending the love of Jesus Christ in a way that is more personal. And so we've been thinking through some of the questions that all of us have in any personal relationship. We've been thinking about questions like, do you know my name? Do you know what matters to me? Last week we heard about, do you know what I've done? And this morning, we're going to consider the question, do you know where I live? Learning where people live, it means taking the time to learn where people are coming from. Learning where someone lives means letting them tell their own story in their own words. So to help us with that this morning, we're going to look at a really beautiful passage from the Bible. It's in the New Testament book of Mark, chapter 5. And in this story, we're going to see how Jesus chooses to love a woman who is suffering. And I'll say up front, in this particular story, there are multiple characters. But for today, we're just going to focus on the story of Jesus interacting with this sick woman. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, if you want to use your phone app, or if you just want to read up here, uh, you can follow along with us. So in this passage, it says this. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him. And a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now, there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. <coughs> Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. 
he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So in this story, a religious leader begs Jesus to come and to heal his daughter. And on the way, a large crowd huddles around Jesus as he goes out to heal this sick girl. And while he's on the way, there's someone else in the crowd, a woman who is also sick. The passage says that she had been hemorrhaging for 12 years. In other words, for 12 years, this woman had some illness that caused her to have chronic bleeding. This woman was suffering. She was suffering physically. Uh, remember, this is a time before modern medicine. For 12 years, she lived with this illness. And because of it, she not only suffered physically, she also suffered financially and socially. She spent everything she had. She went bankrupt on medical bills and yet was no better. And according to Jewish law, her illness made her unclean. Being unclean in that culture meant she couldn't get married. She couldn't keep a job. She couldn't even participate in religious ceremonies or festivals. Her own community would have marginalized her, forcing her to live on the outskirts of their own community. So here she is, an unclean, suffering woman. She is in need physically, financially, and socially. And this woman in need seeks out Jesus. And back then, think about this, back then in that culture, women didn't just go up to guys and start talking to them. Women didn't, really they didn't go up to rabbis, Jewish teachers, and start talking to them. And women really, really didn't go up to rabbis and touch them. And an unclean woman, oh man, they really, really, really didn't go up to a rabbi to touch them. But here she is, desperate, needing help. And so even though the rules of the day told her to keep out of sight, to keep out of touch, to keep living in the margins, she decides, I've lived with this pain I've lived in this shame for so long, she thinks to herself, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. And so she breaks the rules. She touches Jesus. Can you imagine, can you imagine for a moment, if you were her, how nervous she would have been? I mean, she's living in isolation for 12 years. She is not developing social skills, communication skills. She's been living on the margin. She's been living her whole life in shame, in isolation, in desperation. Every time she left her house, she would have had to have been so careful to not accidentally touch anyone. But here she is, on purpose, reaching out to touch the most famous rabbi of her day. And so, how does Jesus respond? What does Jesus do when this happens? Well, typically, Jewish teachers, rabbis, they were really careful to not get touched by random people because they wanted to avoid becoming unclean. That was part of their job. And so, most rabbis didn't take the risk of going out into the crowds because they didn't want to get touched by anyone. 
But Jesus wasn't most rabbis. Jesus was often out among the crowds of people because he cared about people. Jesus cared more about the well-being of people than about the opinions of people. And so in this one simple step of faith, this woman reaches out to Jesus. She gets healed. And instead of using his divine power to determine what happened, Jesus uses a very ordinary human power, one that any one of us could use. He asks a question. He says, who touched my clothes? In asking the question, who touched my clothes, Jesus creates an open-ended opportunity for this woman to get to share her story. The disciples acknowledge that, Jesus, a lot of people have been touching you, but only Jesus realized the way that his power had just touched another person. And so as Jesus keeps looking into this crowd, his stares, his looks into the crowd, it prompts this woman to no longer remain silent. And while many relig religious leaders of that day may have wanted to keep her quiet, Jesus frees her to speak and to share her story. And she responds by telling her whole truth. So despite all of the rules and all of the social customs that would have kept this woman living on the margins of society, what does Jesus do? Jesus moves her from the margins and right into front center stage. And he allows her to voice her own story in her own words. And after listening to her, listen to what Jesus says to her. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is such a beautiful response. Notice a few things about what he does. He keeps the focus on her. Even though Jesus was the one who healed her, he chooses to say and to proclaim to her that her faith has made her well. He doesn't list all of the things that she had been doing wrong. He points out what she did right. He focuses her attention and the crowd's attention on the importance of a faith that reaches out to Jesus. So Jesus took the time to let her tell her own story of where she had been living. Jesus listened and Jesus loved. And in listening to her story, Jesus addresses her as daughter. In calling this marginalized woman daughter, do you know what he's doing? He's saying to her and in front of everyone that that suffering woman was just as much a daughter of Israel as the daughter of that important religious leader he had been on his way to heal. He affirmed her worth, her value, her standing in that society. Jesus used his voice to empower someone who had no voice in that society. And he did it to free her, to make her well. And he not only makes her well physically, but also socially, because she is now no longer to be considered unclean. She is free to move from the margins and to come into a much fuller life. And then after setting that daughter of Israel free, Jesus went on to go and free Jairus' daughter as well. And so I want us to consider this. 
as Jesus, in just the same way that Jesus took the time to listen and to love that woman all those years ago, even today, Jesus takes the time to listen and to love us. For anyone here who has known the pain of living on the margins, for anyone who knows what it's like to be labeled as unacceptable, to be pushed to the outskirts of society, I want you to hear this good news. Jesus Christ knows where you live. Jesus Christ listens to you. Jesus Christ cares for you. Because society also labeled him as unacceptable. The way that Jesus lived and listened and loved to people, the people in power at that time, they couldn't take it. And their response was to not just marginalize Jesus, but to crucify him and to leave him alone to die. Yet Jesus chose to die because he wanted to take into his broken body all of the brokenness of this world and let it be put to death once and for all. In the words of one of the hymns that we sing here, it captures this, and when they nailed him to that cursed tree, the nails that held him there, they set me free. And Jesus has been setting people free, not just 2,000 years ago, but even today, as we heard so powerfully in the stories of the baptisms just last week. Jesus continues to free all of those who are imprisoned, all of those who have been suffering, all of those who have been marginalized. Jesus is the one who loves us and who seeks out the lost to heal them and to call them. And each one of us here has that opportunity to extend love in the same way. To quote from one of the most loving people of our day, the recently passed away, Mr. Rogers, he says, deep within us, no matter who we are, there lives a feeling of wanting to be lovable, of wanting to be the kind of person that others like to be with. And the greatest thing that we can do is to let people know that they are lovable and that they are capable of loving. When we give someone our full attention, we give them the gift of love. Love chooses, or let's choose to love others better. Let's choose to make time in our schedules to allow for those random unexpected moments to happen and still have the time to listen in a way that's loving. Consider for a moment some of the people that you know and where they might be living. Because to be honest, we all know people who are living in suffering. We all know people who are living in physical, financial, and social emotional distress. We know people who are living in chronic pain, people who are living with anxiety, with shame, with depression, we know people right now who are living in a state of loss, maybe from divorce, maybe from a job loss, maybe from death. We all know people who are living in such a state of suffering that they feel marginalized, that they feel no longer accepted, accepted 
in the community that they once called home. So how do we do this? How, how can we get better at loving people who are living in suffering, people who are living on the margin? Well, we can love like Jesus loved. We can do as Jesus did. We ask questions. We pause to let them tell their own story in their own words. We stop mentally writing their story for them and let them do the talking. We choose to love better by listening to others more. So this is our main application. We want to love better by listening more. And I have to say this, while I'm sure that we all want to get better at loving people better by listening to them more, it's really easy to be completely oblivious to the inner lives of other people. For me, it didn't even occur to me that other people had feelings until I was in high school. Like, I remember vividly the exact day that it finally occurred to me that other people have something going on inside their heads and hearts. I was sitting in my freshman English class, and, you know, typical, like, wisecracking kid or whatever, but my English teacher was excitedly starting to tell this joke, and he was really getting into it. And I'm listening to this joke, and you know, lights are going off in my head. I'm like, oh my gosh, I see where he's going with this joke. I know the punchline. And so I yell out the punchline. The whole class laughs, except him. And then he just, his face starts turning red, and he gets angry, and he yells, Andy, why would you do that? I was just about to get to the punchline. And I'm sitting there completely bewildered. I'm thinking, what's wrong with this guy? I mean, he... <laughs> I could see where the joke was going. I said the punchline. People laughed. It was funny. Isn't that what I'm supposed to do? And then slowly, ever so slowly, it started to occur to me, oh, I think he wanted to get the laugh. That must mean he likes it when people laugh at his jokes. He must have feelings. Oh my gosh, wait, my English teacher has emotions and memories and hopes and dreams of the future? I bet everyone has these feelings. This has never occurred to me. Oh my gosh, this was a big revelation for a teenage boy, but I think it's still a big revelation for us every day. Because while there's some corner of our brain that knows that that idea is true, that there's an inner life going on in everybody, it's so easy to have our default mode of operating in the world to be set to mute regarding the inner lives of other people. We can just be so oblivious to the fact that everyone we encounter has their own story going on, their own reason why they're doing things. But instead, we just stay preoccupied with our own thing. And that's completely natural. I mean, we, have, we all have a first-person view of the world. So we imagine that everyone else is just a supporting actor in our story. And, and that's natural. But if we want to get better at loving people more, we need to turn off the mute button to the inner lives of other people. And as we do that, we're going to face two very distinct challenges, challenges of time and challenges of tendency. We're all tight on time, and we all have tendencies to write people's stories for them. Regarding time, I mean, we live in Monmouth County. It's a busy place. It is part of our culture to be busy. And a lot of the times as we are busy, it's usually being productive, trying to do good things. But listen, 
while our days may feel long, our years feel short. And at the end of our years, we will not care so much about how many errands we ran or about how many possessions we worked so hard to acquire. At the end of our years, we will care about the people we chose to love. Time may be short, but love is just much more important. We could be so productive and so busy that we have no room in our schedules for people living on the margin. But that's not love. Jesus was busy. Jesus was busy about to save the life of a person, yet he still chose to stop and listen to someone who was suffering when she reached out to him. And each of us has tendencies that will be an obstacle to listening to people. We have tendencies to just dismiss other people, in particular because we're thinking, oh man, I just don't have time to listen to everybody's story. And you know what? I bet I'm a good enough judge of character that I know why they're doing what they're doing anyway. So when we see someone doing something unexpected, we start writing their story for them and assume that we know where they're coming from. But listen, whether or not the story we have written for another person is correct, the fact that we're writing that story for them and thinking that that's the same as knowing where they're coming from, that's wrong. That's not love. Sometimes the stories that we've written for people causes us just to write them off. We take one data point and we use it to label that person. And that label becomes our excuse to dismiss them as being unworthy of our time. We assume that the label that we have given them is all that there is to them. So we see someone and we think, ah, that's the cancer patient. I know their whole story. We think, oh, that's the immigrant. I know where they're coming from. That's the Republican. That's the Democrat. That's the hipster. That's the vegan. And we look to this label and think, yeah, I, I know their label. I know that person. But when we do that, that's not love. And we are called to love. People are more than their diagnosis. People are more than their political party. People are more than the labels that we choose to give them. When Jesus saw that unclean woman, he didn't see her by that label unclean woman. He saw her as a person, as a person in need, and he healed her. That's what love is. And sometimes, though, we end up getting so preoccupied by this tendency to label people that we end up loving our labels more than the people. That's not love. So here's the bottom line. People around us are in need of love and they are worth loving. As followers of Jesus, let's love others better by listening to them more. Let's ask people to share their own story in their own words. And this may mean that we have to be more flexible with our schedules. It may mean that we take a fast from all of the social media and political news that we consume so that we can give our attention instead to the real people right in front of us who are in need. There's a beautiful passage in the Gospel of Matthew that sums all of this up, and it says that 
when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He cared for them. He saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd. So how did he respond? He became their shepherd. And he not only became their shepherd, he told the people around him, he said, this is what I want you to pray. I want you to pray that God will raise up more people to join me in shepherding all of those who are harassed and helpless. So let us here at Park Church pray that prayer, that God would raise up more people to care for those who are harassed and helpless. But let's do more than just pray that prayer. Let's commit ourselves to being part of the answer to that prayer by we ourselves going out and caring for all of those who are harassed and helpless, to take the time to love better by listening to people more. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great grace to us. Help us to love you better by listening to you more. Lord, help us to hear your spirit speaking to us. Help us to see you coming to life as we read your word. Help us to be attentive to the prompts to love, to listen, to care for the very people around us. God, we pray as well for all of those in our community and beyond here that are living on the margins, that have been feeling harassed and helpless. For those who feel like they have no voice in our culture, for all those who feel powerless, unclean, and unacceptable. Jesus, we pray that in grace, you would show them what acceptance looks like. And God, we pray that you would help us be part of the answer to that prayer. Help us be agents of grace, going out throughout Monmouth County, listening to people, loving people like you did, asking questions, hearing where they're coming from, and God, we repent from all the times that we, in our busyness, in our pride, dismiss people. God, we, we turn from that. We acknowledge that that's sin. We acknowledge that that's wrong. We acknowledge that that is not love. And God, there is such a better life that you call us to. So we commit ourselves now as Park Church to loving people better. Help us to do this now by your Spirit's power. Amen.